to the Sheffield's Hidden Gems podcast. Sheffield is a city in South Yorkshire, United Kingdom. This podcast features conversational interviews with owners or managers of a unique selection of businesses, charities, and other enterprises in Sheffield. This podcast is brought to you by Excel City Apartments, a brand founded in Sheffield that provides business travelers and leisure visitors with fully furnished, safe, and comfortable self-catering accommodation when they're in Sheffield or visiting the nearby Peak District National Park. And now, let's meet today's guest. Hello and welcome to the Sheffield's Hidden Gems podcast. I'm Veronica Brooms, your podcast host. And in this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Rita Housen, the Chief Executive Officer of Support Dogs, and that's a charity based in Sheffield. Welcome to the podcast, Rita. It's lovely to be here. Hello, Veronica. Great. So let's dive into our conversation. This is your opportunity, Rita, to introduce yourself and to tell us more about you and the charity Support Dogs. Let's get a glimpse into the work that you do at Support Dogs or have been doing over the past several years. So yes, thank you, Veronica. So we are a charity that is based in Sheffield. Um, we train assistance dogs for a variety of medical conditions, um, some of which are disability, um, epilepsy and also autism. Um, so we train the dogs to help people around those conditions uh, and then place the dogs with the, with the people. So in the disability um Program. We train dogs to do physical tasks that the person might find difficult. For example, uh, closing doors, um, you know, operating switches, pulling cords, emptying the washing machine. So lots and lots of useful things that um, you know that person might find painful and difficult to be able to do themselves. Um, in the epilepsy program, then we work with people that have uncontrolled epilepsy. Uh, and we train the dogs to look for signs or clues prior to uh, an epileptic seizure happening um, and then train the dog to warn that person. So it, it's like an early warning system, you know, we, which you can imagine is amazing for that person. For the first time in their life, they're actually um, taking control of their epilepsy. Um, and so it enables that person to get somewhere safe. It doesn't stop the seizures happening. Um, but it, it does make sure that they are, you know, they're safe and comfortable and they can call for help if they need to. Um, and our third programme is working with children with autism, specifically. And that's between the ages of three and ten. And the, the dogs come into um, the kind of child's uh, family life and help with routines. Um, they are a massive calming effect on the child. Um which is which is wonderful and, and again very um you know for, for the parents can be a massive aid um that we can teach routines with the dog so some children can get quite obsessive about routines and very repetitive and some of these can be can be quite dangerous to the child so we can introduce the dog into those routines and and kind of in a way, wean the child away from those routines. So maybe obsessive teeth cleaning or hair brushing um, and, and make it a bit more of a fun um, episode. Um, and the dogs can help as a, a bit of a safety anchor outside as well. So we can teach the dogs to brace or block. Um, should the child, you know, have generally the children have no sense of danger. So may just 
wander into the road or try and cross the road. And we even to the extremes that we had one child that used to chase cars, um, which you can imagine for a parent. I know, must that's have been a that. nightmare. Yeah. Um, so these dogs are wonderful assistants um, that come into people's lives and the children's life and, and help them day to day. Um, the dogs are all uh, very much trained like a, like you would train a guide dog. So they're trained for, you know, in the social uh, aspects as well. So the dogs are very friendly, have fantastic temperaments. And we train them around kind of shops and public transport um, so that these dogs can go everywhere with the person. Um, you know, generally a pet dog's not allowed into shops or restaurants or, or certain places, but obviously our dogs have had this amazing training that allows them to be able to do that. Well, so those are our three programs. Um, we're very busy and they're all amazing and all equally as, as you know, special to each other. Thank you ever so much for that, Rita. Quite an insightful introduction. Now, it's incredible. You said it's amazing, but it's incredible what the, you've explained that the dogs are able to do. And I think in, effa- in effect that actually explains the reason why your charity is called Support Dogs, because these are dogs who are providing support to individuals, and you also mentioned to their families. So it's just incredible, it's remarkable, the sort of changes I'd imagine, and maybe life-changing ways in which the dogs that you have trained, or Support Dogs as a charity would have trained, those dogs are able to help individuals and families based on the three main clinical or medical reasons that you've identified. Are you able to tell us a little bit about some of the way, some of the, or what goes into some of the training that the dogs are required to go through in order to become support dogs? Um, yeah, so we source our dogs from um, a variety of places. So we not typically, when you tend to think of an assistance dog, you think of a, a Labrador or a Retriever. And, and we, we certainly do use those types of dogs. Um, but we also use a variety of mixed breeds as well. So um, within our disability programme, um, we would consider the, um, well, our, our main kind of source is the person's own pet dog. So they come along with their pet dog and it can be anything from a Jack Russell right up to a St. Bernard in some instances. Um, and rather than us place a dog into a, in a house where it might already have a pet dog, we, we, we could see that you know the, the people have already had a bond, a special bond with the dog. So why not train that dog? You know, he's capable of doing this, the same tasks. And, um, and as long as the temperament and the personality is suitable, then we would consider that dog. And he obviously has to fit things like criteria, you know, age criteria, etc. But if everything's great, then, yeah, we would set about training the dog. And the dog comes to um, Sheffield and he stays with one of our foster carers for about four weeks. So this is a person's own pet dog. And I suppose that's quite traumatic for that person to to have their pet dog come here for, you know, for a length of time. Um, but the trainers will set about doing all the foundation training with the dog. And then we would replace the dog back with his owner and continue that support. Um, we also work with puppies. Um, so we will buy 
um, or source suitable puppies from uh, breeders. Um, and we will bring the puppies and rear the puppies all the way up into um, an age where we will start doing more extent, you know, more intricate training. So while the puppy is doing his puppy walking, he lives with a volunteer. Um, and then, you know, we're supporting that volunteer and the puppies will bring it around. Um, one of the other areas, we work with pet dogs, as in people will um, maybe uh, no longer be able to take care of their pet dog for whatever reason. Um, and rather than put the dog into the kennel, then, um, you know, they, they would offer the dog voice. So that's kind of donations. And then um, we also work with rescue dogs. And we, we're very proud to say we do try to give that second chance to rescue dogs. Um, so we have several relationships with rescue centres, both large and small, um, where we will go and assess if there is any suitable dogs that we could bring into our training programme. So once we've actually collected the dog, they'll go through a variety of um, training and assessments. As I mentioned before, the dogs have to be able to cope with social environments, things such as uh, shopping centres, public transport, restaurants. Um, so the dogs will be gently introduced to those areas um, and we want to make sure that the dog is happy in those areas and he's confident and obviously wouldn't pose a risk to either, you know, the, the person or the general public. So the dogs they do lots and lots of training in those areas. We also then start the foundations off for his task training. So these are the physical tasks I mentioned earlier. So we teach the dogs to, um, you know, press buttons, uh, retrieve items, um, and also kind of pull cords or, um, you know, kind of pull socks off and things like that. Um, and then we're also obviously going through all the obedience training, making sure that the dog is, you know, the, the client will be able to handle the dog. Um, the dog will, you know, kind of sit when he's asked or he comes back when he's asked. Um, so there's lots and lots of uh kind of extensive work done with all the dogs and that can last up to two years before the dog is ready to be placed out um, so it's very very uh, complex and um, very skilled training that happens during that time yeah, I can certainly understand why it takes that long because of the path that a dog needs to travel between where they start and where you need to get them to return so thanks very much yeah, for yeah. setting some of that okay. out. I, I, as you were speaking about the tasks that the dogs are trained to do, I do recall in one of the films I saw about the charity where the dog was pulling the socks off and it looked like fun, but then later on I realized uh, the, the socks off the child, the, the client as yeah. a support dog. It looked like fun, that they were having a fun experience, but I realized that it was actually a practical task that the dog was helping. Yeah. So it meant that that child or that the, the, the person who needed the support didn't have to be thinking, oh, I need to bend to do this to ensure I take both off or even the parents. So it's amazing. Yeah. Again, I'd say it's amazing what your support dogs are able to do and you're reminding us that it does require patience also. So up to two years it can take, incredible. Yeah. So you mentioned that they're the hosts for the dogs. So they go to families who volunteers also to accommodate these dogs, whether it's a pet who's coming to be trained 
or whether it's a dog that you have rescued or has been donated. So I'd be interested in finding out, and I think our listeners would also like to hear, in addition to your staff and your volunteers and donors to the charities, who are the other stakeholder groups or groupings that you integrate with as support dogs? Yeah, I mean, we, well, so first we're, we're members of what we call Assistance Dogs UK. And this is a, a voluntary coalition of um, other charities such as Guide Dogs, Hearing Dogs, uh, Caring Partners, Dogs for Good. Um, and we come together um, quarterly and we work together. We have working groups all year long. And this is really to share best practice between the organisations. We're all doing the same job but obviously for different medical conditions so it, it kind of is sensible that we all come together uh, and share knowledge um, but also a bit of a campaigning lobbying group for all of our clients um, for things like access uh, I think for many many years it's been known that you know the door stickers are guide dogs only um, and so some of our clients that have had dogs trained through these you know via these char other charities for other reasons such as hearing impairment or a disability uh, sometimes can find it quite difficult to get into certain places and certain shops because they've only ever heard of guide dogs um, and so it's trying to kind of reach out and share that knowledge with service providers to say these dogs have been through exactly the same training process um, they're just as well behaved they have just as a you know wonderful temperaments um, and so you know they obviously can come along in with them as well um, so we, we work together and campaign to raise that awareness to, to let people know exactly that there is other dogs out there rather than not just a guide dog um, so we work very closely together and as I said we, we cross platform in a lot of areas um, we've trained uh, dual dogs with them so we trained a dual guide stroke seizure dog um, and we believe that to be the first in the world so it's a dog that does guiding exactly you know um, with, a, with a person who was visually impaired that person also has epilepsy um, so when they're out and about working, then the dog would let the person know uh, they're going to have a seizure. And you can imagine how dangerous that would be otherwise, because um, going along um, for somebody with a visual impairment with their guide dog outside and then having a seizure very unpredictably could put both both the person and the dog in a very dangerous predicament. So having a dog that can actually say, well, hang on a minute, you're going to have a seizure. Uh, which means that person can get somewhere safe. It obviously you know, is quite safe for both of them. Um, so, yeah, we, we work across doing dual-trained dogs, uh, which is really good. Um, we work a lot with the other organisations as well, such as, you know, kind of some of the autism charities, um, epilepsy charities, uh, and, and various of the disability charities. And that's, obviously, we want to try and share what we do within those groups so that people can, you know, find access, you know, that might be something that they would consider, something that they might find helpful. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of a couple of other groups or several groups that we actually work with that are very important to, to us as well. Um, and some of the rescue centres as well, I suppose. That's another probably group we work with. Um, and we're, we're actually due to do, and this will be a first as well, so this we actually due to do a big zoom conference um called rescue dog to support dog um, 
and where we've invited loads of rescue centres up and down the country and and other people within the dog world to uh, come along and find out what we do and how we work with the rescue dogs and that there is another journey that a rescue dog can take uh, rather than going into a pet home um, there, there is another journey that you know is there for them as well so that's very exciting and that will be at the end of the month it certainly sounds so who would have thought that dogs also could have career changes from rescue yes. to support <laughs> incredible and yeah. how you are also using the technology because you mentioned having a Zoom call, and I think it's appropriate at this time that I should say, because I don't think I'd emphasized before, the fact that although Support Dogs is based in charity, in Sheffield, as a charity is based in Sheffield, you do service or work with clients across the country, so you're not restricted to Sheffield only. Is that so? Did I get that correctly? Yeah, that's right, Monica. Yeah, we so for two of our programs, so our epilepsy program and our disability program, then we cover the whole country. And um, we have dogs right up in Scotland, uh, right down into Cornwall. Um, for our autism program, that, that program needs probably a little bit more support and resource. And we are still quite a fairly small charity. Um, so within that program, then there is a, a two hour driving distance. And that's part of the criteria. And that means we can get to the child and the dog um, on a regular basis. We only have a very small training team. Um, and obviously traveling traveling long distances like that and um, would, would, you know, obviously would put a lot of um, pressure on the team as it is. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we do cover all the country. Um, Well, thanks very much again for that clarification. I should have stated that at the start. Now, Rita, you have been the CEO of Support Dogs for since around 2014. And this was, in fact, a promotion internally because you had been the training manager previously. So I'd like to ask, what would you consider to have been your most significant achievement or impact you and the team would have had so far since you've been at the helm? Um, I think one of, one of the achievements was the one I've just mentioned, which was the a dual trained seizure alert dog with the, with the guy, with guide dogs. Oh, brilliant. Um, as we was a very small charity at the time and working with such a large charity, such a large well-known charity as well, um, it, it was, um, we felt we'd, you know, to achieve something that had never been done in, in the world, I think, um, really, really struck home with us. Um, our autism programme, again, we've been quite unique with that, that we was um, kind of one of the first charities to place an autism dog out. Um, this particular programme um, what had been done in um, Canada and in Southern Ireland, but not in the UK. So I feel quite really proud that we, you know, achieved that. Um and, and our disability programme, I think, um, kind of working with children has been a real achievement. We've done some fantastic um, child projects recently, one being um, a Molly in Chess that was recently featured on Country File, um, and the story of, of that child and dog's uh, you know, special relationship. Um, and one that um, Monty Dobb from Gardener's World, he... Um, 
kind of put all over his social media, which was amazing. And uh, so it feels a nice achievement that we're, we're kind of reaching more people, more national. Um, as I said, you know, um, I think our charity's growth over the past few years has been outstanding uh, and really feel like it, more and more people are getting to know, you know, what, what an amazing charity we are really and, and the hard work that we've been um, doing with the dogs for the past uh, nearly 30 years. I actually spoke to my team this morning and realised next year is our 30th anniversary that Support Dogs has been around. So, um, and, and to think we've come so far over that 30 years uh, and, and survived last year. I think that's the, <laughs> that's the biggest achievement that I think everybody will be speaking about is, wow, you know, Indeed. You know, at the beginning, you know, so March last year, it was very much doom and gloom and, oh, gosh, what are we going to do? Yeah, but I, I'll come to, um, if I may, Rachel, I'll come and ask you a little bit more to expand on what you had to do differently and to ensure that yes. you're still here this time around and you will be around to have the 30th anniversary. But hearing you speak yeah. about your achievement, it, it seems to me that not only has it been amazing what you've had been able to achieve in terms of growth and the impact that you you would have had but you also have had some famous dogs <laughs> in the process because you mentioned country file as well as the gardeners program so not only is the charity high profile but the dogs that you're working with so would you say from any of what you've shared with us or maybe some aspect that you haven't shared with us, would you say that there's any memorable moment that you'd like to highlight in this interview? Or I should say conversation. Yeah. Um, gosh. I think, yeah, we have, you know, we've been in the House of Commons uh, and that was very memorable. And we, we, you know, we did a whole um, kind of conference in there, and we had, you know, what, you know, kind of rub shoulders with some celebrities, such as Martin Clunes and Caroline Quentin. So those moments are always memorable. Um, I think, you know, as you mentioned, Veronica, I was um, a volunteer when I started with the charity. I was working training the dogs. Um, and I think what always, always sticks in my mind is um, one particular lady that, you know, never left the house for quite some years. And, I, you know, I worked with her and trained her dog um, and then came to call her a few weeks later and there was an answer machine. <laughs> and that has really stuck in my mind because I thought, you know, this lady for 10 years has not been out of the house. She's <laughs> you know, um, she didn't have the confidence to leave the house on her own. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, have pause and travel and that has always kind of stuck with me and that's kind of I think what makes me get up in the morning because I think yeah wow this is this is what we do this is how we transform people's lives so I think going from rubbing shoulders but also then just the very very you know I suppose things that people take for granted day to day well I suppose not leaving the house isn't I think everybody's experienced <laughs> but in general yeah yeah so it's the small things I think that have really mattered and, and stay with me wow I love that have pause will travel so having the confidence <laughs> I set a four pause it means that that client was able to Re reintegrate or rejoin the world outside our home. 
what a difference and what a transformation yeah, yeah. that must have been. So coming to where we are now, and you, you started to mention it in terms of having to make changes, but I'd be interested in hearing, because we're recording this in February 2021, a time of national lockdown, a time when we're in lockdown three, and therefore, what sort of changes would you have had to make and you at Support Dogs, your teams, over the past year or so in respect of how you deliver services, Rita? Yeah, well, um, last year when, when everything started, we had to evaluate what we could and couldn't do to continue with our service and look at what restrictions there were. I mean... Everybody was working from home. Um, we couldn't do any face-to-face -face meetings, which a lot of the operational side of the charity um, relies on. So going to people's houses, training the dogs, being in um, our training centre with people, they would stop in a hotel. So all that kind of work had to stop. And then also things like our puppy classes um, or even just the general dog training classes, which our volunteers bring our dogs in training to. Um, so we had to look at ways around that of how we, you know, we, we were very concerned about the dogs training deteriorating because they were, would not be getting either training, but also the socialisation as well. Um, so we started using it. I think at first it was WhatsApp, um, WhatsApping our volunteers and clients and speaking to them um in in that platform to find out how they were getting on and what support we could do that our trainers were and instructors were very creative and they started then to use zoom um and then started to actually train the dogs via zoom uh, with the people so amazing would, you know obviously <laughs> have the, the video on the dog and, and the volunteer it might need another extra pair of hands in the house uh, where it meant, you know, they could kind of direct the person via the video and then actually see what happened and be able to step into problem shoot. So lots and lots of that started. Um, we then started doing presentations, so um, kind of doing like education to our volunteers and, and running workshops about, you know, dog training or um body language things like that so that all happened um, and it also then enabled us to carry on with our application process because we could interview people over zoom um, and then again any, anybody bringing a pet dog we could kind of view the dog sourcing dogs we were able to view them over the videos um, so really that that took off and became even you know more creative as time went on as regards fundraising because obviously without and, you know, fundraising and income, we can't do what we do. You know, we don't charge the people for the dogs. It's completely free. Um, but we do need money to be able to obviously pay staff and be able to, to train the dogs. So um, fundraising, again, they became very creative on their own. And they started, um, again, similar things, started doing presentations online. So they would still campaign for Charity of the Year, corporate partnerships. Um, and they again started to bring the dogs into those lives so if lots of companies were working from home everybody sat on their computer so what's better you know at lunchtime that to then have a meet the dog workshop and get to see some of our puppies and some of our older dogs doing their stuff um i mean what a, what amazing break during the daytime when you've been stuck at your computer at home 
Um, so they, you know, we've and since then we've done a Bake Off, um, which attracted a lot of people. Um, we did a, a quiz with Steph and Dom from Gogglebox. Um, they ran a quiz for us and attracted quite again a lot of uh, people coming on to do the quiz. Uh, so yeah, they, they, they're getting very inventive, but I would say majority has been virtual. Um, it has made us realise that there is some things that you know and when we get into the new normal is that we'll probably still take a lot of that virtual world with us uh, because it's been uh, in some instances like a, a very easy way to keep in touch and support people more. So technology has certainly played a major role in ensuring that yes, you have been able to stay in business and to keep providing yeah. the support that your users would have been able to benefit from. So again, well done, yeah. Rita. And that's actually a lovely segue as we come to the end of this conversation to ask you about some of the plans that you may have in train for the short term or even beyond that, the next few months or beyond in respect of support dogs. Um, yeah, I mean, one of our... One of our biggest goals, really, is to get a new property. Um, at the moment, we're split between two um, kind of industrial office units, uh, which isn't ideal. We have our trainers in one particular building and our admin and fundraising staff in another. And although they're only five, well, not even five minutes walk apart, it's still very difficult for that communication side of things and keeping the team all together. Um our, our dream is to have some kind of rural property or some property that has, a, you know, quite a little bit of land around it. So, again, exercising the dogs, training the dogs, we don't have to travel for. Um, and also have maybe our clients residential because sometimes they come and stay in a hotel. And we pay for all the hotels as a charity, so it would be nice and cost-effective to have our own accommodation. So that's our big dream, um, to grow even further, and help more people you know that we really need that as soon as possible um so so that's probably our biggest goal um we have lots of other areas we've just got some new trustees on board so um we've got a fantastic trustee board of trustees um some had reached the end of their term and so they've kind of stepped down and we've recruited some new ones so it's very exciting we're looking obviously uh, one of the, the goals is to raise the awareness of the charity even more this year um, and, and into, you know, over the next few years um, and really become kind of in everybody's, um, I don't know, agenda, uh, whether they know fundraising or accessing the services um, and uh, lots of small objectives. Uh, you know, we're, we're looking to strengthen our teams, both in the fundraising and training and, uh, and, and making sure that, you know, we're quite robust and, make you know, that um, we have all skills. Uh, at the moment, we have probably one trainer that trains each of the dogs and we want to make sure we're multi-skill trainers. Uh, so, yeah, lots of little plans. And uh, as I said, I think the main objective is a property at the moment uh, to be able to grow, continue to grow. Very ambitious, and I certainly wish you well, Rita, because you're certainly on the way to do that in terms of support dogs. So well done. Rita, thank you ever so much for your time over the past 25 minutes or so. It's been fascinating hearing the insights. I knew some of the work of support dogs, but had not realized some of your 
incredible achievements. I certainly wish you and the team well for the next many years. But for our listeners who would like to find out more about what you do and the way in which your life, your, your work touches the lives of individuals and families, how can they get in touch with you or any member of the team at Support Dogs? Please do tell us. Um, well, you can get get in touch via phone. Our phone number is Sheffield 0114. 261-7800. Um, you can visit our website. All the information is on there. There's lots of lovely videos on there of the dogs working. Um, and, you know, again, you can ask questions on there and get in touch with us via email. All the details will be on the website. And the website um, address, also, please. Sorry, website address is supportdogs.org.uk. Um, and then you can follow us on Facebook. And again, if you search for Support Dogs, we're on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, on TikTok, on Instagram. Um, so again, you know, you'll see lots of pictures and, and stories and videos um, of our work there. Thank you ever so much, Rita Housen, CEO of Support Dogs, the charity in Sheffield, for being our special guest on today's episode of Sheffield's Hidden Gems. Thank you ever so much. Yeah. Thank you, Veronica. It's been wonderful. And and thank you for, for listening all about Support Dogs. Thank you for listening to the Sheffield's Hidden Gems podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Excel City Apartments, a brand founded in Sheffield that provides fully furnished self-catering accommodation for business and leisure visitors to the city and the nearby Peak District National Park. We also accommodate families relocating to Sheffield City region. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do listen to other episodes by following our podcast on this platform. Or you can find us on Twitter at Excel Property P, that's the letter P, and on LinkedIn, the business page is Excel City Apartments. Until the next time, ta-ra! Ta-ra!